to The Brighter Side of Education. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Hassler, here to enlighten and brighten the classrooms in America through focused conversation on important topics in education. In each episode, I discuss problems we as teachers and parents are facing and what people are doing in their communities to fix it. What are the variables and how can we duplicate it to maximize student outcomes? In this episode, I focus on digital communities. Why do we need them and how can it increase student completion rates in distance education? The potential of technology in education is so great that there is a steady increase in the number of online courses available in higher education every year. Distance education is an effective tool with the capability to enhance learning experiences with the added benefit of flexibility. However, completion rates for online courses are surprisingly low. 40 to 80% of online learners just give up. So how could such an effective education model fail to go the distance to completion? And why do college students drop them? Data suggests that motivation, technical issues, and a lack of support are the three major reasons. Dr. Brown identified these concerns in his 2015 study with the first semester college students taking distance learning classes. His recommendation was that more needs to be done by institutions to change the lone wolf perception and avoid the goulash approach to supporting distance learners. He went on to state that lives of distance learners are not black and white, but rather complex shades of gray, and this needs to be taken into account when designing appropriate learning experiences and supports to ensure student success. Katie Kapler is with us today to offer insights into how digital communities can be used to create student-centered environments, improve student outcomes, and increase a sense of belonging for online students. Katie was named one of 144 women CEOs and founders of leading global ed tech startups in March. She is the CEO and co-founder of Inscribe, an innovative digital community platform slated to be one of the world's most promising ed tech startups. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. What is your background and what led you to develop the digital community platform Inscribe? So a little bit about my origin story. I actually started my career with a company called eCollege, which was one of the early learning management platforms in the market. If you've been around, that name might sound familiar. So think early or late 90s, early 2000s. Um, But what was really unique about eCollege is it was the first LMS to focus in the fully online space. So if you were running full online programs back then, um, Mm -hmm. it was likely that eCollege was the technology that was powering that experience. And that was very transformative for me. It meant not only that I got to really experience how technology could democratize access to education for a whole population of students who otherwise would not have been able to even think about attaining a four-year degree, but it also allowed me to work really closely with that set of learners, which, you know, that we now term non-traditional students. And what sort of over the time that I was working there, there was so much energy going into how do we recreate the classroom for these students? How do we think about lectures and discussion and exams But there wasn't a lot of thought going into all the other things that make up an education experience, all the stuff that happens outside of the classroom, right? Those casual conversations, those support networks. And so when my co-founders and I started Inscribe, it was really with that in mind. Like, How do we turn what is just a learning experience online into a really holistic 
post-secondary education experience for these students. So how are you expanding support for non-traditional and underserved student populations? Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned earlier this idea that online learners are not, you know, one category of individuals. Um, They're actually a very diverse set of learners, but they do have some things in common. Um, They're often, you know, working while they're learning. They're their parents, they have children at home. Sometimes they're the first in their family to go to school. So they are very constrained when it comes to things like time and space. And um, what we are really focusing on then is how do you adapt your student support and engagement strategies so that they can fit with this population of students who maybe are not available eight to five when your office is open or who don't have the luxury of sort of reaching out um, when the faculty member is available. So there's kind of four things that we think about the positive outcomes of the digital communities for these students. One is really that the flexibility and the accessibility. They're available 24-7. So if you're learning at night or on the weekend um, and you get stuck or you have a question, you're not alone. You don't run up against a barrier. You can go to your community. There's probably another student available who can help you out. Um, It may be that your question has already been answered and you can find that solution. So you're not isolated in that way. That's really important for this population of students. The other thing that these communities do is they kind of simplify the support process. So I would say even traditional students, when they are have a question, when they're trying to figure something out, they often don't know who to ask, right? It's like, right. do I go to this office or that office? And so what communities can do is they consolidate all of that, can consolidate all of that support under one umbrella. So it doesn't matter what your question is. You have one place that you can go and turn to and know that the right individuals are there to provide the help that you need. Nice. The third thing that we we really appreciate about these digital spaces is they tend to be more inclusive. Um, speaking up, you know, in person or in a classroom or even in a live virtual classroom is very intimidating for some individuals. So when you create a virtual space that allows you to sort of show up as you want to show up, think about the you know what you how you want to ask a question or how you want to formulate a post for a while before you post it you really see a much broader set of individuals starting to participate in these spaces. So we really like that idea of like opening up access and giving a voice to people who maybe felt like they didn't have a voice before. Um, So that's really all on the student side. And then on the institution side, there's a lot of things and we'll, you know, we can talk about around efficiency, but the thing that I get most excited about is that it gives institutions a window into what their students are actually thinking about, worrying about, excited about. You know, when you allow them to have these authentic spaces, they Mm -hmm. will tell you all kinds of interesting things. And the institution can then use that information to improve its processes upstream. So we have a lot, we hear a lot from from our partners that I didn't even realize that this step of the, you know, registration process was so confusing. So we created some artifacts to help with that. Or I didn't really know that this particular area of the class was so, so stressful and um, intimidating. So I put some scaffolding in place for that. So those are just some of the ways, but four of the areas where we really feel like these kinds of communities can have a strong impact for these students. So why do you think we need digital communities and what success in student outcomes have you seen with the institutions that use them? 
Yeah. And our communities really come in many different shapes and flavors. You know, our Inscribe works across all aspects of the student journey, everywhere from admissions to student services to academics and learning. However, when we partner with an institution, generally there are three outcomes that they are always looking for and that we measure together. Are we actually improving student success rates? So are more students persisting and and, um, finding success in their classes? Are we improving the experience for students, how they feel about their education, how their connection to the institution? And then in doing all of that, are we actually improving also the efficiency of the institution? So it's one thing to like improve all these student outcomes, but if it costs tons more to do it, that's just not tenable. That's not a sustainable model for the institution. So we've done a lot of research with our partners around these three areas. And I'll just give you a couple of examples of you know where we see those positive outcomes coming. One of our partners, Arizona State University, who we've been working with for a long time, is very focused on building academic and learning communities for their students. And in particular, in these first year courses that can be a stumbling block for students to persist. And we are super excited. We've been working with them, for example, in first-year math classes. Mm -hmm. And what we were able to demonstrate is by introducing this community model into their math courses, we increased the number of students that were successfully passing that class by 8.5%. Wow. That's a huge number of students, right, who either would have had to retake that class or, in many cases, you know, that can be a dropout moment for a student when they can't get through The next area around sort of student um, satisfaction, where we really focus there is around this concept of belonging. Sense of belonging, I think, is very much in the narrative right now. And people are really coming to understand how closely it is tied to not just short-term measures of success, but actually long-term outcomes for students even after they've graduated and moved into their career. So um, we partnered in this case with Rio Salado College down in Arizona and rolled out an inscribed community across all of their student population, um, including they have a very significant online student population, and then did a research study in partnership with the College Innovation Network, which is a nonprofit that um, focuses on measures like um, student success and belonging. And what we were able to demonstrate is that the students who participated in the inscribed community reported a 30% to 40% increase in their self-reported measures of sense of belonging and peer connection after just four weeks. Wow. So, yeah. So it's like, it doesn't take a lot of time. It's a very simple solution that can have a huge impact for these individuals. Again, both in that short term, but also in that long tail. Yeah. And then the last measure around efficiency, you know, this can sometimes be a little harder to measure um, because not every school is tracking, you know, the number of emails they receive and so forth. But we did, we were lucky enough to be able to do measures around this with both Western Governors University and Arizona State University. Okay. Because they were tracking these numbers. And when they implemented their inscribed communities, they saw anywhere from a 25 to 80% decrease in the number of individual student like email questions that they were getting, right? And this is because we're consolidating that in a single location. So one yeah. student asks a question and it's answered. Now all the students benefit from that. And that's great for students. It's great for, you know, getting the answer more quickly. But what that really means is that faculty member or that staff member 
now has hours back in their week that they can spend on much more in-depth interventions, higher level interventions than they would have been able to before. So we're really excited. And those are generally speaking, three things that we always look to achieve with the partners that we're working with. So when you talk about how Inscribe is integrated across the different communities, like the homepage, where else would those digital communities exist and how do students find them? Yeah, access to these communities is critical. Um, We sort of talk about it as community in context is this concept, but really the idea is your students should not have to go hunt down the community. It shouldn't be six clicks deep in some other system. Um, It really needs to be right where they are. So we will integrate into any and all of the tools and technologies that students are already using at an institution. Um, Certainly the learning management system is one of those. So we can put integration points directly in the classroom. Um, We can put them sort of above the classroom level on the on the portal or the LMS homepage. We also integrate directly with courseware from publishers. Um, so in academic communities, if you're using something you know, from a Wiley or a McGraw-Hill, um, the student actually has their community embedded directly in that courseware product. But also things like websites, emails, mobile apps. You, know, you tell us what tools are your students using, and then let's make sure they have easy access to their community directly from that space. So in this way, when they're accessing that community, let's say I'm in that math class, I would be able to easily find that math class online community to be able to ask relevant questions that they would actually be able to answer instead of just like a general population. Like I'm, I'm throwing this question out to the wind and I hope that someone picks it up, right? <laughs> yeah, and you can get really, you know, you can get really detailed about that. So anywhere from, you know, I'm in my college algebra class. When I launch the community, it's my college algebra community with my mm-hmm. students and my faculty members. But even, you know, within college algebra, if, if I'm working on quadratic equations today and I launch the community, the community knows that. And so yeah. it will service immediately the questions that are specific to quadratic equations, the resources that are specific to that. So we don't want you to have to go hunting for the information you need. Like, let's make it easy for you. So when you're saying that it's going to be accessible, so you you are thinking about universities that are serving a population that could be global, so international. You're looking at different time zones on top of, you know, people's different schedules that they have to be able to accommodate. So when they're asking these questions, is it a live person that's responding to them or is it AI or is it a combination? So the communities themselves are, des- well, so I'll answer in a couple of ways. So the communities are initially designed to be asynchronous. Okay. So when you ask a question, it's sort of put out to all the members of the community and uh, allows that flexibility for people to come in and out when they mm-hmm. want to. The primary focus of the community is the human first system. I mean, yeah. we really believe that when humans hear from and learn from other humans, that creates the greatest impact for them. However, we also know that efficiency in this process is really critical as well. So we do incorporate certain aspects of technology and AI to help Mm -hmm. with the scalability and health of the spaces. Um, And one of the ways that we do that is if you start to ask a question and that question has already been answered, the system will recognize that. And point you toward the conversation to say, hey, I think, you know, we already have a solution for you over here. Why don't you check this out and let us know if that's going to help you. So let's limit the number of duplicates, but also let's connect you to that solution right away. 
Nice. The other way that we really think about using AI is more on the health side of the community. So mm-hmm. as questions are asked, we're evaluating the emotion of that conversation. And if the emotion of the post becomes very negative, like angry or frustrated, or even like very confused, the system will proactively identify that and alert somebody. And so the idea there is maybe you have a lot of activity going on in these spaces, but if you have a student who really is like needing assistance immediately Can we help you understand who that person is, what that conversation is, so that you can prioritize a little bit better where you're spending your time, or maybe just reach out to that student live to have that conversation with them? Yeah, I think about like, you know, as a classroom teacher, you definitely do those priorities as well. You're like, hey, Johnny's being totally fine. He's got his hand raised. But then you've got Sally over here and she's in tears and she's going (laughs) to not make it if I don't. So you you just kind of go, okay, you first. So it's kind of nice that within that system, it has a way to pick up on that as well to say this person is in higher need right now. We need to reach out to them and see if there's something more that we can do. Is inscribed solely in higher ed or can it be used in the K-12 sector? Yeah, we do have some partners in K-12. So we're primarily, we are used in post-secondary. I think a little bit of that is just our background. Um, yeah. The founder's background is coming out of that space. Um, but we do have some partners in K-12. I will say our most Um, If we were measuring the success of a community based on the number of interactions and the number of participants who are joining, we have these two communities in middle school and high school with a partner of ours, um, GCVS, um, Greater Commonwealth Virtual School, and they are amazing. (laughs) They are very chatty, very conversational, but also it's really cool to see because these students are all high school students and middle school students learning online. Um, So the social need there is very high and they embrace their community to do things like share artwork that they created and get feedback on it. I think they started like a Dungeons and Dragons club (laughs) um, or someone will just say like, I'm having a bad day today. And all the students will jump in to say, Oh, don't worry about it. We're here for you. I'm so excited that we got to be friends. So it's just, it's very heartwarming to see how these students embrace the technology and use it to like lift each other up and create these connections. That is wonderful. Now, your work in ed tech has earned you multiple Cody Awards and a place on Fast Company's list of top 10 most innovative education companies. You have dedicated your career to developing solutions that expand access to high-quality education for all students, but you also inspire and support other ed tech entrepreneurs. Can you talk about your involvement with Startup Weekends and why you think this is so important? Yeah. So I got to be an organizer for Startup Weekend EDU for many, many years. And it was some of the most rewarding work that I have done in this space. Um, They're very intense weekends. If you're not familiar with Startup Weekend, it's basically you show up on Friday. It's a big group of people all come together. Mostly they don't know each other. (laughs) On Friday, um, anyone who wants can pitch an idea. You get one minute to pitch an idea. In this case, any kind of concept in education. Um, then we vote on the ideas and the top, you know, depending on how many people, the top five, six, 10 ideas are selected to move ahead. You form teams and then you spend the rest of the weekend building a business. And so on Sunday, you present 
you know, what's your company? How are you going to grow it to a, a group of judges? And then we have winners. And so it's a very intense weekend filled with mentorship and education and learning. But what I love about it is, again, I feel like if we really want to dig in for innovation, especially in an area like education, it's so important that we have a wide array of voices being brought to the table. You know, education in particular, where your background, your goals, your experiences are so critical to having success in your learning. We want all of those perspectives represented in the innovations that we're building. And these startup weekends really bring together such a diverse set of individuals. The other thing is, I think entrepreneurship is very intimidating. It can feel overwhelming and unattainable to a lot of people. And it's not that, you know, starting a company is hard, but I do think the Startup Weekend kind of demystifies that a little bit, helps people understand what are the components, how would I actually get this started? And it really connects them to this whole network of mentorship that is there to support them even afterwards. So we've had several companies come out of those weekends and go off to actually create viable businesses. So a lot of fun, very inspirational. If you have a chance to participate in one, I highly recommend it. And this is just in Colorado? Um, the startup weekend that we edu that we do is Colorado, but they're nationwide. Oh, so you can probably find one local and to you as well. I think this is such an important opportunity to not only listen to other innovative ideas, but to help lift them into reality, and then to support the people through that mentorship and network connections, which we know are so valuable. So for my last question, I'd like to ask you to leave our listeners with some advice. What should they know about digital communities to improve successful completion of online classes? I would just say never underestimate the power of human connection to help with motivation, confidence, and persistence in learners. And don't undervalue the the power that your students bring to that as well. So when students are learning online and in a in an experience that can be quite isolating, I think sometimes institutions feel like, well, if I am going to build connection and belonging, the responsibility is on the staff, it's on the faculty, like we're the ones that have to focus and generate that. But actually when you open up the access for students to just connect with each other, that oftentimes is more transformative than anything you might try to orchestrate as a as an institution formally, right? Open up those spaces for informal conversation. It was such a, a disservice to this set of learners that for many years we believed that online students didn't want, didn't need, didn't benefit from peer-to-peer engagement. Um, and that's just not true. And in fact, I think most of our partners would tell us when they actually asked online students, what would you want to see improved in your program? Often it wasn't anything about the curriculum and the learning. It was really about, I wish I had more chance to interact with my classmates. I wish I had more opportunities to kind of connect with them and get to know them better. So when you create these spaces, students will gravitate to them naturally and they can have they're they're cut you know they're not expensive they're not difficult to implement a very simple solution can have an outsized positive impact for your students down the road 
Excellent advice. Thank you, Katie, for your vision and dedication to developing solutions for online learners. So here's the call to action. Distance education is not a lone wolf experience. Digital communities create a greater sense of belonging and improve student success. Use them if you have them, get them if you don't. It may be the difference between completing that online course and not. If you have a story about what's working in your schools that you'd like to share, you can email me at drlisarichardsonhassler at gmail.com or visit my website at www.drlisarhassler.com and send me a message. If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell a friend. The more people that know, the bigger impact it will have. If you find value to the content in this podcast, consider becoming a supporter by clicking on the supporter link in the show notes. It is the mission of this podcast to shine light on the good in education so that it spreads, affecting positive change. So let's keep working together to find solutions that focus on our children's success. Mm-hmm.